Here, I, I got a cold That's open for good. you. Fuck you, Joya. Coming to you from the fightsite.com. It's the best damn jujitsu podcast ever. Say os again. Os. Third edition of the Say Os Again podcast. This is your host, Matt Joya. Today, I'm being joined by Tommy Elliott. How are you, Tom? Say Os Again! Always, for my grappling father, Marcelo Garcia Purple Belt, Ben Cohn. Yo. And today, we have a special guest. Welcome him back to the mats and to the mic after nine months of High Elves campaigns. Please welcome T.P. Grant. How are you, T.P.? It's good to be here. I'm really excited to be talking about grapples again. And, and like, more physical pretending to kill people than more imaginary pretending to kill people. Yeah, and we're very happy to have you on. Uh, today on the podcast, we're going to be speaking about how, uh, how to build guards together by linking them. Uh, and then eventually how to play uh, during your roles to uh, maximize your use of uh, building a system. Uh, so I think we'll start with the butterfly guard, uh, just discussing what guards pair specifically well with butterfly. Uh, and Tom, uh, as the butterfly expert and lover, please uh, take it away. So I think whenever you're talking about linking guards, you have to think about it a couple of ways. The first one is, what is my ultimate goal position that I'm trying to get to? And how do I go through various guards to get there? And then the flip side of that is when somebody is is passing me and I am not winning the engagements, what guards am I ending up with and how can I how can I link the two? So when you're talking about butterfly, the big thing is to control the inside space. It's an inside space and underneath sort of guard. You're trying to get inside and underneath your opponent. So the guards that link well with it tend, tend to be ones where you do that. So the classic sequence from Butterfly Guard is going Butterfly to uh, Single Leg X to Full X to Sweep. Um, you can also go to several Deep Half variations, which again, you're getting under and controlling inside space from Butterfly. Um, and, and that's really what you're, what you're aiming for. Some position where you're uh, dominating grips, getting underneath the guy, and you're able to lift and turn them. Um, and then, of course, the flip side of that, if you're, if you're getting passed, you're going to, going to end up in the one essential guard that everybody has to play because you always end up in it uh, whenever you're getting passed, which is half guard. Um, so, you know, being able to uh, to link, every everything links to half guard by necessity. Uh, but for butterfly, generally speaking, you're going to be looking for inside space guards where you're getting under elevating single leg X, X, uh, deep half variations, especially with the leg lever. That's going to be the main kind of stuff that you go to from butterfly. I'm going to let the uh, guest go now. I would like to actually, yeah, I would like to jump in because I think one of the key things when talking about linking guards together, especially when we're starting to talk about um, once you move outside of closed guard, which I think some people thinking about closed guard is simply when you're 
ankles are crossed is sometimes not constructive. There's a whole lot of very closely related guards that link into playing closed guard in my mind. Um, but once we start getting outside of that set, stop thinking of them as purely individual guards and start thinking of them as grip sets. It is a set of grips and you will transition between them much easier when you start thinking about what do I want to accomplish and to accomplish that, what grips do I need? Uh, and as that, you start feeling the transitions between guards a little bit easier because I feel like in jujitsu, we have a little bit of an obsession of putting everything into its space and giving it a precise name, which is helpful, but then people can start thinking of them as two separated. Um, and I think that idea that uh, Tommy put in, the linkage of what butterfly guard leads to is exactly right because those are all inside and underneath guards. So they all link together very, very easily because they're all related grips. And so I start, when I'm thinking about it, I generally start trying to break guards into situations where I would need grips. My ideal situation is kind of like Tommy. I like to be inside and underneath. Um, my favorite sequence is getting into that single leg X position and working from there. That's like if my perfect world, if I could get into whatever situation I wanted in my guard game, that's where I'm going to be. I have some long range guard grips that I use. And frankly, I don't like those very much. I can do some daily Heva stuff, but I fucking hate it. And it's mostly, most of my game there is geared to getting to other positions. Um, and then I have some defensive guards that I can link together um, based on what my opponent's doing, and those link together. Um, butterfly guard leads to half guard, and half guard leads back to butterfly guard. As Tommy said, one of my favorite things for that is, again, thinking grips. If I'm playing half guard and I get into a situation where I can go over the back and get that belt, I'm immediately scooting out and going to butterfly because that grip gives me the ability to play there. I need to elevate, so I get inside and go underneath. And this is something that my old instructor, Adam Restovich, gave me. He did a video on this forever ago, the open guard translated, which then, like, a couple months later, suddenly every fucking guard instructional started having the same talk in it. But it was this idea of, like, breaking down those barriers and starting to think of open guard and generally guard game more as fluid grips than, like, isolated instances or, like, isolated guards. Um, yeah, so when, when it comes to linking guards, I mean, one thing that I think is, is really important to also, like you said, you were said, it's not isolated guards, that you can't think of them in an isolated fashion, because then you're going to get yourself stuck in these spots that you're not going to be able to either get out of, or you're, mentally, you're not going to be able to kind of get to that next level. And I think that's kind of like, a very early on mentality where it's like I'm learning this guard, so now and it's an, and it's that isolated moment. So I, I think that for um, I think specifically as it pertains to people who are really just getting into it and are starting to learn and are starting to to, to white belt blue belt and they're really starting to try and come up and build their their guard game. Like you said, we you can't think of it in that one specific set. It's not just the butterfly guard where I'm working just from the butterfly. It's like I'm working the butterfly guard and I'm opening myself up to those other positions that connect to it extremely well. Guards that I can that are specifically I'm under you and I'm yeah. you want to say something, Tommy. Yeah, it's important to think of guards as complexes more so than specific positions you know you have you have kind of your goal position but if you're 
if you're rolling with or, or competing against somebody good, there's going to be back and forth, right? You should think of it um, like climbing a really tall mountain. Um, so, you know, if you're climbing Mount Everest, like you go up a little bit to acclimate, then you go down to a camp, then you go up a little more, then you go back, and eventually you end up on the top. And that's really how it is when you're uh, when you're playing guard against somebody good. Um, you know, you'll get a position, they'll neutralize something, you have to switch to some other related position, then you get back, then you get your position, then you get to your ultimate position, then if you get your, you know, what you're looking for, you should be able to sweep them. Um, that's really what it's, and, and conversely, it's the same thing with passing, right? Like, you get in better or worse positions on top until eventually you get to the point where you're so superior that the pass just happens. So, you know, you, you think about these complexes, there's really not that many. Um, the butterfly single leg X, uh, X kind of complex is one. I would say kind of collar and sleeve De La Hiva, reverse De La Hiva, um, is another. And, you know, from there, like, I suppose you could call it kind of half guard and sit up guard, like more wrestling style guard play where you're really just looking to come up on stuff and everything, like a couple of single legs, everything else is a secondary option. That's another kind of holistic system of playing guard. Uh, but it's really a pretty small number of, uh, kind of overall guard approach strategies that most of the the, the technical repertoire from, from the bottom fits into in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, and, and um, more of that, uh, a lot of the stuff that you see that, that I guess looks more complicated or is more complicated or kind of uh, is more gi-oriented, stuff like lasso guard or, or arambolo and stuff like that, uh, obviously we're not really going to, what were you say? Someone unmuted, Tommy. I did. No, I, I was going to say that, yeah, that's that's true. You know, there are these other positions you can play, but I, I think those kind of, they, they do fit into larger contexts. I mean, when you look at something like Lasso Guard, like it's really, in many ways, kind of a part of that same, almost like outside positioning sort of complex of, of De La Hiva, Reverse De La Hiva. Usually when you get a Lasso, you're going to either Reverse De La Hiva or you've got like some sort of spider. Right, so it's it's that more extended kind of outside positioning, open guard style, um, where you're trying to make something happen more from a longer distance. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, so I want to try and focus on kind of a different part where um, we've kind of talked about the complexes and, and how these guards link together, but it's also important to understand when to use the guard in question, and that's obviously going to be based off of the your opponent, right? So. I, I, I'm going to bring in something I constantly tell people who ask me, like the concept of just creating space or filling space, right? So depending on where your opponent is and how they're fighting or reacting to what you're doing, you're going to either need to create or open space, right? So if somebody's able to get into uh, past your, one of your legs and you're now in a half guard, what you're trying to do is if you're coming up for that single leg, you need to close that space off as you go uh, for that underhook, you're going to be pulling them tight to you. You're going to be sitting out. There's certain things that you're going to be doing. Uh, but if you have the wrong reaction or if you're trying to implement the wrong guard or create space when you should be filling it or vice versa, that's going to be a, causing you issues when you're trying to get your grips, get your sweeps or, or I guess submissions as well. So I think it's a really important thing that while you're learning to link these guards, it's also when to, let's say, necessarily abandon a specific position or move on to the next position, in this case, guard positions, going from butterfly guard. You're trying to get that sweep, but the guy's getting really good posts. Switch to the single leg X. Don't keep trying to, to, to hit that same sweep because you need to hit it. And this, I guess, links back to don't focus on a specific guard. It's about that connective tissue. And yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the one of the big things that I see um, people who are starting to get to the point where they want to develop a guard game and they want to learn how to be a guard player, they pick a guard and then they get kind of good with it and then they hit a plateau because they just try to play that one guard and they don't see the solutions when people figure out, oh, this this kid's trying to be a Delaheva player. Like, okay. Like, this is my Delaheva shutdown down game. And they have no answers for it, except, well, I just I'm gonna try to play Delaheva harder. And understanding those that connective tissue and where you can go from it is so very important. And I also want to just point out I absolutely love that we just totally threw Matt's prop question away and we're just like moving into whatever the fuck we want to talk about says so this is why i'm here uh, we always do that <laughs> yeah i know this is this is why i'm here um the uh, but finding those those transitions and then it's one of those things too working on those transitions between guards spending time in class before class or whenever you have time to drill spending time on the okay I like single leg X and I like moving to deep half. I am going to spend just time on that transition and finding the places where that transition can happen uh, is one of those things. It's not a sweep. It's not a submission. It's not something that often ends up in instructionals and isn't even something that necessarily always gets taught in class because we're always teaching sweeps. We're always teaching submissions when we're showing technique. But that like connective tissue is super important and often something grapplers have to go out and work on their own. Very briefly, just to build on that point, and it's something I think is 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 really important. Um, so just to, to to that transition point and working on those transitions. If you came to Marcelo's. Uh, uh, for the evening class between the six o'clock class and the seven o'clock class. I would usually go for the seven because that was the advanced class where they would have the most rolling and the most class time. And for a full hour before pretty much every single class, every single day, you'd see Gianni Grippo working with Adam Benayoun every single day, just working on his transitions. Uh, obviously, Baron Bolo was involved, but just constant transitional work linking his guards together over and over and they would do these rounds where they would do the exact same thing over and over and over and they would go back and forth with it and i think that kind of points out what's why it's so important to work on it because you have a guy who's an elite multi-time pan world champion multi-time brown uh, uh, pan champion nogi world champion like this guy and he at black belt was doing this every single day so if it's good enough for Gianni to do it, someone like Gianni, who's an elite world-class black belt, to do every single day for a full hour before class, it, it's, it, it shows that there's a purpose to it. Um, yeah, uh, Matt, um, do you have any reason for being here? <laughs> I hate this goddamn podcast. Uh, yeah, so I want to this touch on something. Again. This was your idea. I want to make this clear. You, you. Not only was the podcast your idea, but it was your idea to invite. It wasn't my idea. It was Ed's idea. Well, let's not get into that yet. Uh, <laughs> so I, I want to touch on top something Tom said uh, about linking uh, guard positions from an outside, like linking his outside guard to his inside guard. Uh, just talk about how to build that on a macro level of uh, an outside guard game, since all of us like to play. Uh, I guess butterfly or inside guards. Uh, just how would you would build uh, transitions to that guard? One of the key connective. 
one of the key connective grips for me for going from an outside open guard to that inside position is the shin on shin uh, hook. That's one of those key things that is often very available. Yeah, it was, I man, that was my secret sauce when I was a purple belt, when nobody was doing it. And I was watching Michelle Nicolini matches, like right around the time the BJJ Scout did that that video on her doing uh, shin on shin. And it was it was one of those grips that wasn't being used extensively. And then once a spotlight was shined on it and people started using it more frequently, and this is not to say it wasn't being used. There were people using it, obviously, but it was just the knowledge hadn't been spotlighted by a lot of like high, like very visible people. Um it's such a useful grip and understanding the shin on shin guard as again not this position that you always need to be in but a a, a useful transition point to where you really want to go because you almost very rarely if ever get anything real done from the shin on shin you don't often sweep you don't often hit a submission from the shin on shin but it gets you to the positions to sweep and to um and to hit submissions sometimes um or it lets you wrestle up if they just try to run away from you um yeah you know shin on shin does give you access to that uh to to the inside because once you have that grip you get the shin on shin position, you get the grip behind the knee. It's almost impossible for somebody to prevent you from swinging, either swinging underneath them into some sort of a deep half or more commonly uh, elevating them into kicking through to a, uh, a single leg X. Or you can play it, uh, you know, with a spider hook on the other side as more of an independent sweeping position. But that's uh, that's less common. Uh, Michelle Nicolini, to that point, is, is I think the only person I've really seen do that well. Yeah, it's um, especially. I made the mistake for a while, uh, purple belt and early brown belt, where I I overused it because it was just this thing that kept working. And yes. uh, then when I, uh, especially when I started rolling um, with a particular black belt in the, the Chicago area, Isaac Riggs, who's like one of those one of those black belts you hear about that like no one knows his name, and then when like world champions come to visit, he absolutely whoops them, sort of guys. Um, he would just uh, like I would try to run to shin on shin, and he had so many answers for an uh, uh, like a very unset up entry, and I had to really start working my other guards to start creating that hook, and that's when I had to actually really start working my Delaheva guard because if I just tried to run immediately to that shin on shin hook, it would not work. So I had to develop an entire grip set for a guard. And again, this is why I started thinking about it as grip sets. I developed an entire Deli Hiva game pretty much entirely based around the idea that I mostly want to sit up and play sitting a, a, a seated guard. And that's entirely what my Deli Hiva guard is based around, is either getting there or to reverse Deli Hiva, because those get me more towards the games I like playing. And that's one of those connective moments where it was a guard I completely ignored for years, and I had to start playing it. Yeah, you know when I teach uh, when I teach my students about um, how to play guard, what I generally tell them I tell them two things. So the first is figure out what you like and that you're really good at. And this is people who are like advanced blue belts, so they they know the repertoire more or less, right? It's they they don't know just like armbar from close guard. Say so, you know figure out what you really really like, and then the question becomes how do I get to this position consistently, and then what are the 
what are the questions my opponent can uh, pose in terms of the various ways they can try to pass, and what are my answers to those questions? And so, you know, you don't just work on, you know, spider guard because that's a thing that exists. It's no, what you know, what I really like is Dale Hiva, and I want to try and Baron Bolo the guy, but I know that I'm going to end up in reverse Dale Hiva a lot, so I better have something from reverse Dale Hiva whether it's just resetting up my daily heave or, or independent attacks or whatever. Um, you know, it's it's a question of what's what's my goal position, and then given all the things that my opponent can do to prevent me from getting there or neutralize me once I'm there, what are my answers to those? And you you can just see this, uh, you can see a role or a match is just a, a constant uh, series of posing questions and answers to one another. Um and that's that's really how I feel about it. Uh, it's 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 that sort of interplay. That was yeah. That was actually one of the things I was going to bring up, but you, you you beat me to it. And uh, this must be what Matt feels like every time. Um, so the the like you said, the having stuff in positions that you don't necessarily want to be in, as long as you can cre- um, be not necessarily even fully comfortable in those positions, but as long as you have or can 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 work on uh, ways to get back to the primary position or guards that you want to be in, then you'll be okay as you continue to, to grow in jiu-jitsu. Because again, most elite guys, there are guys who are very well-rounded. Everyone's well-rounded at a certain level, or at least knows what to do in most positions. But they have a few specific things that they consistently go to as that's their things that they do. And whenever they're in a spot that that's not where they want to be, their entire goal is not to, oh, I'm in, oh, I don't like spider guard, but now I'm, I happen to be using spider guard grips, uh, I'm going to play spider guard now. It's no, how am I going to funnel myself back to a position like reverse Delahiva or Delahiva? That's the important thing, understanding how to get from a position you don't want to be and link it to a position that you are comfortable in and do want to be. Um, and I actually do want to... Uh, talk specifically to Matt because one of the things that when Matt and I are rolling is is initially especially early on is when we were rolling you were you wanted to use Delahiva and reverse Delahiva on me and you kind of asked me like I don't understand what I'm doing wrong I'm like you're, you're getting to the position but you don't actually you're not actually comfortable there you don't actually have moves from there uh what are you going to do when you get there and there was no real answer and I'm not doing this as like a rag on Matt thing I'm this is kind of like explaining as an actual example of that so it works as both it works <laughs> it was intended for one not the other for what uh, it's I worth. the point i only play half butterfly now so yeah well <laughs> and you're getting yelled at by marilla for it which is amusing um so that's just an example of you know, you have your spots that you're good at and you're going to want to work on other spots. You you have to know what you're doing, for, what you're going for at those specific moments and getting to that place that you're comfortable. Um, Matt, any input? Um, if not, we'll go back to the two people who we actually want to listen to. Move on to them. <laughs> if we're talking about reverse Delahiva, can I just can I just throw in my take on that? Because I've integrated... I, I, I integrate reverse Delahiva into my game right before um uh covid hit mm-hmm. and the revelation for me was that um when i started using it more because i i the all roads lead to half guard especially the older you get the more half guard you end up playing it's just kind of the way of things 
Um, the 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 knee shield started becoming a, a featured part of my game, especially once I started learning how to use it in Nogi without getting immediately leg locked. Um, because there was a hot minute when like everyone was like, "Don't play knee shield, you'll just get heel hooked." Um, and that that did turn around happily. People realized like, "Oh wait, if I just understand leg locks, I won't get leg locked from here." Uh, but reverse Delahiva is just knee shield when the person stands up. And that's that's the revelation that that hit me. Where it's like it's it's all like a lot of the same grips, a lot of the same goals, a lot of the same ideas. It's the same guard in in essence. Uh, my opponent is simply just standing instead of instead of on their knees. And that that transition that that made it click a bit more for me and made it a much easier part to integrate into my game because it's any time I would go to knee shield and they stand up or they lift that foot. I'm immediately just into my uh, my uh, reverse tail heave guard, and it made it much more a usable guard for me. And sometimes those little perspective shifts too, because again, we put everything in their boxes and we just think about them in isolation. And there was a time when I was starting to first learn reverse tail heave when it was just kiss of the dragon sweep all day, and that's all you did. Um, and and once you start expanding out from like a lot of the, uh, especially like when when a guard's trendy, that's also like an issue where like when a guard's trendy, you want to do the stuff that like the one person who specializes it in. But unless you take time to sit down and watch their entire game and matches upon matches, you don't see all the other like ancillary things that go into making that one technique work. Yeah, you know, I, I think reverse data heave is an interesting one because it's an, it's one of those essential guards. Like, you have to be able to play it. You will end up in it. And to your point, Tom, I, I do think that the, the grips are pretty similar to half guard uh, with the knee shield. The one big difference, though, I think, is that with reverse data heave, to play it well, it's really important to have a very active lower uh, lower leg and reverse data heave hook. And that's, that's less true in knee shield where you're relying more on the top leg and more of a scissoring motion to... To control distance um but yeah i mean look if you don't have a reverse de la Hiva, you're just gonna get passed from reverse de la Hiva a lot because people are gonna put force you there and you're not gonna have any answer i would say also this changed how i played my knee shield also where i play a little bit but i i have the i have like the classic like crush their, their crush their fucking leg sort of knee shield uh, and then I also have started playing something more akin to like a reverse Delaheva with my opponent on their knees sort of style of half guard. Um, and that, that opens up a lot of possibilities. And again, that, that, that goes into this idea, like back to it, which is just, it's grips and you can, you can tweak grip sets to fit your game. And that, that is something that we always preach, right? Adjust your guard game to fit you. Um, oh, sorry about that. I'm going to, uh, are you going to, are you going to bleep me? I'm going to get bleeped out. He literally doesn't know how I'm to get it out. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm like, man, he I forgot. I out. forgot I, to I, I, the podcast and had to keep it PG. My bad. Not to drop any F bombs. So. <laughs> I, I edited it out last time anyway. So if you, there's anything that we need to edit out, I got this okay. one. That's, also, don't worry about it. Anyway. No, so I, I lost my train of thought. So let's come back. Let, let's circle back to something else. Matt. Uh, I, I actually want to quickly touch on that grip uh, comment that you're making because uh, I I bite I, I bite my fingernails. It's actually a very dumb thing that I do. So 
specifically, obviously, this only matters really in the gi. And because I bite my fingernails, the nail beds bleed and it gets really, it's kind of painful. So specifically, whenever there was like the, 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 when you grab in the grip and you dig your hand in, I think it's the monkey grip or whatever, the spider, spider guard grip, it actually was extremely painful for me. So I had to modify those grips. Whenever that kind of grip was being used, I had to Can modify Can you guys hear me? To, yeah. Why? Were we supposed to? Unfortunately. Oh God! Sorry, I am. I my pick froze for the last. I heard Tom. I heard Grant, uh, TV just go and Matt, and then everything froze for about the it's rest of it. Very concerning that your mic says you're muted, but I can hear you, and that's upsetting to me. <laughs> it says you're muted, but you're not. I'm just letting you know. There um, needs anyway. to be a belt system in Skype so we can all just mute Matt. Oh, and look want. at the poop! Look at the poop! What, what did I miss? What did I miss? You're missing the cutest dog. My COVID speech just decided this is the time to crawl into my lap. So it's perfect. It's the perfect time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, um, yeah, I had to modify all of my grips in those positions to a pistol grip. You got, and, I'm yeah. recording this, so you might as well start over because it's probably completely got cut from when TP just said and Matt and I, I was going to toss it to you for something, and and Ben covered you like a pro. So which I don't know if it was recording me, but yeah, it's fine. It's it's not that it's not especially important, but it was essentially an example of me modifying the grips you that I use. Restart it. Restart it. No, it's fine. It was just That's literally what he was doing, Matt. Shut the fuck up. Um, so just to touch it. on just to touch on Tom's point regarding uh, modifying specific things to fit you. Uh, as an individual, I bite my nails, and part of the, what comes along with that is that I have, you know, very painful nail beds and stuff like that. They'll they'll crack, they'll bleed. Uh, it's not pretty, but it is what it is. And I had to modify my gi grips because it's extremely painful for me to utilize certain gi grips. Uh, for example, when I was doing spider guard, I had to modify my grip to use a, a spider uh, the pistol grip, which is not the grip you're really supposed to use. And oh my god, that dog is so cute. And, <laughs> Uh, anyway, so that's just a very specific example of modifying something to fit you. Did, did it necessarily improve my game? No. But, you know, there are ways to obviously apply that to your actual game as well. I have very, very bad left wrist, and it's very hard for me to use the Marcelo team specifically. So instead of using the Marcelo team, I use Jean's Gooseneck, which is a lot less stressful on my wrist. And... That's an example of modifying something to accommodate your injuries, your body type, whatever it may be. So going back to kind of the original point about uh, linking guards, I think one thing that would be interesting to talk about a little bit is distance, because I think that plays a really important role in how you link guards, is developing a feel for what the distance of the engagement is and what guards you need to be in because of that distance. Um, so, you know, that's that's a really interesting thing because... We don't often think about distance that much, but when you think about passing, what passing really is, is trying to eliminate distance and then either immobilize or redirect the hips in such a way that they can't stop you from accessing the upper body, right? Like that's that's what passing is. So, um, you know, when I think about distance um, with uh, with guard play, that's really where a lot of the linkages come from. You know, the longest distances guard, longest distance guard being something like collar and sleeve, 
And then from there, you go into Daily Heaval, which is actually a little shorter distance than that. And if your opponent is able to kill your Daily Heaval hook, you might end up in Reverse Daily Heaval, which is shorter distance. And then if they can collapse more, you end up in Half Guard, which is even shorter, and then you get passed. Um, you know, Butterfly is a, a little bit different, but at a long distance, you're basically wrestling. At closer distance, you know, kind of middle distance, you're you're in Butterfly or in some kind of single leg X or shit on shit engagement. And then again, when they keep collapsing closer, everything ends in half guard, and you either recover from there, sweep from there, or you get passed. So, you know, I'd, I'd be curious to hear your guys' thoughts on uh, on distance and linking because to me, that's a get developing a sense for where the distance is at and what guard you should be at based upon the distance is. Um, is a really important cue along with gripping those really those two things as much as anything else for knowing what guard you should be playing. Um, yeah. So that was uh, earlier on when I very briefly brought up the context with which I, when I do teach kind of try to explain things is that concept of filling or creating space and knowing when to do which. Um, and I think that the, it's a really easy, uh, simple way of, of, explaining to people what what they need to be doing in a specific situation if a guy is trying to collapse the space on you do i need to be framing to create distance so that i can uh get that underhook or do i need to be pulling you closer because i have a really good grip already i have the the your tricep grip i already have the underhook. do i need to now close that space off so that i can get that sweep um that that constant interplay of creating an, uh, uh, that space or filling that space in order with grips or with frames or with hooks, whatever it may be, is such a, is such a key part of understanding what you need to be doing and when and why you're doing it. So if you're constantly trying to hit a sweep in a roll and you're failing, it may not be because you don't understand, like it may just be because when you should be creating a bit of space, maybe by hip escaping out to get yourself a little bit more leverage on that sweep, you're not doing so. So you're not creating that space that you need to initiate the sweep. And a lot of times it's just trying to put it in a context of, well, let's look at the actual sweep grip or whatever position you're in and trying to say like, well, what am I actually trying to accomplish? And going through it, in that, it from that mindset allows you to do so, I think, really, really easily because when you have, as, as long as you have someone there to also obviously teach it to you and explain it to you, um, trying to just figure it out yourself is not necessarily going to be the best way to do it. But yeah, Tom. Uh, so I think distance was one of the core things that um, when I was with Adam, that he was thinking about and was the core of his, um, the like that open guard translating that I, the translate video that he made that like kind of kicked all this off where he started thinking about guards as being in certain ranges and he talks specifically about the idea that when you're playing guard if you're going with someone who is equivalent level your guard is going to spend some time being a guard and fighting off their passes it is very rare that you go into someone who is your level that you're going to go right into your guard and just immediately play all your game and they're not going to do anything um so thinking of a guard as inherently being a defense against pressure against them creating that like crushing you controlling you um and then thinking about it in waves of like your feet your knees and your hands i would add a few more layers now that i've been playing in like bottom of your feet versus hooking and knees and shins and then 
hands and thinking about those as individual levels of your guard and starting to think about, well, when I'm at that range, what are my options? Because when you get down to just your arms, you're in trouble. Like that's bad. And you need to either use your hands and then replace one of your hands with your knee with the space you made or use it to make space to transition to something else like a single leg. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point, actually. The notion that there's going to be a back and forth, you know, um, when you when you see a role where there's a vast skill difference, th there are no subtleties because there don't have to be right. The person who's much better just does what they want and they blow through the guard or the person on bottom, you know, if they're on top and, and that's that. But, you know, one reason that, frankly, competition jujitsu is often very boring to watch is because matches between very high level competitors, it, it's trench warfare. Right. Like it's an inch back and forth. It's it's literally like I have to defeat this one grip before I can move on to another grip, you know, move on to another thing to, to deal with. And meanwhile, my opponent, who's a world class black belt playing guard, is doing everything they can to get that grip back. And maybe they do. And then I have to break it again. And so you'll see matches, you know, you, you watch some of those old like Cobrinha and Hoffa Mendes matches. They're just breaking each other's grips like back and forth for like 10 minutes. Because they both know that if they don't, like, it's over. You know, they're going to get swept, and they're never going to get back on top, and they'll lose the match. So, yeah, it's dull, but that sort of really finite back and forth where you're you're taking up space, you're improving your position relative to your opponent, till eventually the, the pass just happens, or the sweep just happens, um, that's, a, that's a really important thing to understand. Like, you, you have to fight at each stage... And if you get in a bad spot, it doesn't mean everything's lost. You just have to figure out, like, what's what's the next thing I need to get? Maybe I need to get my frame back, so I do. And then maybe I need to get uh, inside space back, so I do. And then maybe I need to get a foot on the hip back, so I try to. And, you know, you're, you're fighting back against um, against your opponent. They're doing the same thing to try to take those away. Um, that, that sort of kind of back and forth thing and, and feeling a sense of urgency about it is really important for playing guard well in general, but uh, certainly specifically for uh, how guards link together. I'm so glad you referenced those particular matches because that is exactly where I was going to go because those were some of the first matches where I was watching where I like first understood. I'm like, oh, I feel like, oh, Hoffa's looking for this grip and Cobrina's trying to stop it. And then as soon as Hoffa got it, it went from being like an absolute deadlock, nothing happening to an explosion of action because Hoffa's like, all right, it's go time. And Caprina knew he had to do something. Otherwise, he was getting swept. Yeah, a lot yeah. of... You, you saw that a lot, too, in, like, Kyotera versus Bruno Malfacine, all the matches that they have. Anytime you... Especially when you have guys who have uh, competed against each other a lot, um, and they know very well. Uh, Hadolfo and Buchecha, another example. Um, they know what the opponent is looking for and they just have to, you know, they fight it with everything they have and try to get their, uh, get what they want. And then, like you said, when somebody gets a grip, they're not going to wait. <laughs> they're going to go and, you know, you'll get your highlight. Yeah, uh, I think one of the, the main takeaways from this podcast is definitely going to be um, the outside guard game versus the inside guard game. And I know we've started talking a little bit about uh, guard retention in general. Um, but I think we should just highlight a little bit the differences in guard retention if you're playing an outside guard game and how to link guards together to maintain an outside guard game versus if you're playing mainly inside, what different guards do you link together? 
Uh, what are the similarities and differences uh, between uh, defending in an outside position versus an inside position? So I think when you're talking about ins inside's a little simpler because you're basically always looking for the inside space. And if somebody manages to uh, split your butterfly and get in the inside and get into a knee slice position, yeah, you might be playing knee shield, reverse de la Hiva, whatever, but you're looking to circle that leg back in under favorable circumstances to get back to the inside position, get back under them. And you're pretty much always doing that. Um, outside's a little bit more complex because there's a little more interplay, I think, of, of distance and positioning. When you're playing those outside guard games, what you're basically looking to do is take an angle on a guy, uh, generally an outside angle, whether that's coming up on a single, taking an omoplata, um, even a barambolo is fundamentally being able to knock the guy over to a bad outside angle and, you know, then you invert to finish. Um, so in those, what you're looking to do as much as anything else is, is either extend the guy far enough that you can take that angle and he can't stop you, like with a normal plot or a barambolo, um, or you're looking to... You're looking to create a reaction where the guy's coming in towards you and you can either collar or arm drag him or even just come up to your knees um, on a leg and the outside angle becomes a single leg uh, or becomes some kind of attack to the side. So I think that's a little bit more complex way to play strategically, but you're, you're still in any case looking to take some kind of attack to that outside angle when you're playing the outside guards. And when you're starting to get past the guards you link to like reverse de la Hiva, Maybe you kiss the dragon and switch to an inside, but oftentimes you do what the Mendez brothers did a lot of the time, which is just use your gripping and your, uh, your reverse De La Hiva hook to extend the guy so you can get back to De La Hiva and go back to your outside angle attacks. I think this prompts also, there's, there's the potential to go down the rabbit hole of the different approaches to passing versus like through the center of the guard, around the guard, over the top of the guard sort of passing approaches. And um, certain guards do lend themselves to certain passing games. Uh, if, I, if I've established a good butterfly guard um, and I've, I've got them in that and I'm not just letting them back away, the run around the outside of my guard is largely taken away. Like they're probably going to try to float over it if I'm in a good, so, but then you run into the players who want to force their game and are good at it, and like Tommy said, like, I'm in butterfly, but they split my butterfly, and now I'm fighting a knee shield. Um, so, it's, it's an interesting interplay of there are certain things that certain guards lend themselves to, but it's very hard to make universal statements because people will play the passing game that they want to play, and most of their game revolves around similar to guard, finding ways to grip fight to get themselves to their ideal position no matter where they are um, and having some backup plans and things like that and you end up building a passing game very similar to how you build a guard game um though the way i would term this is that if you're going to use a particular guard for any reason extensively um you gotta have answers for the most common passing games you're going to encounter uh and i think that actually is why butterfly is one of the hardest guards to play initially because if you're not particularly good at the grip fight if you're not particularly good at that wrestling sort of attitude people are just going to stand up and literally walk around your guard because you're not stopping them 
that was my experience with Butterfly when I was at Blue Belt and I was just first trying to try to play it, was people would just stand up and bullfight without grips. They would just, like, kind of hand fight me and just step around and just be like, <laughs> like, and so learning how to play um, each guard, there's a defensive component to that, and I think this goes back to connective tissue. Um, why am I playing so much half guard, uh, knee shield, and reverse del Hiva? is because a lot of the guards and the situations I play into lead people to knee slices, so I need answers for knee slices. Um, why do I play a ton of double sleeve control? Because when people run around my guard using sleeve control to stop them from being able to put down pressure so I can scoot out from under them and play that like Marcelo-style sit-out game, that's why. So you have to start building these things in, and it's a little more... It's one of the reasons why guard retention is hard to teach and hard to learn is because it's very personalized and it's very hard to make universal statements. So jumping right off of that, I think now it's time to kind of explain like how do you actually practically approach the guard retention thing? And one of the things that um, Tommy, you and I were talking about this a while ago is that, you know, a lot of schools don't really focus necessarily specifically on guard retention. And it's kind of just like they do the positional rolling that they did from the class. Like, oh, I'm teaching, we're teaching from uh, side control. So then you're positional rolling for three minutes, rounds, or whatever it is, and you do the side control. And a lot of them just don't focus on, like, no, you're starting with the guard, and one guy's on top, one guy's on bottom, and that's where you're going, and it's going to be five rounds of that. And then you can fr uh, free roll. And uh, one, like, practically learning how to deal with guard retention is you just need to that's the game you need to play. If the guy passes your guard, you reset and you start again and you learn how to retain your guard. Uh, number two, when somebody is they, a, a consistent training partner, obviously, is ideal, but even somebody who you just rolled with for the first time, when they are, if they consistently pass your guard or you're having a hard time retaining guard against them, talk to them afterwards. Ask them, hey, what was wrong? What did I do? What were you doing? How were you doing this? And that's how you learn. And then you can apply those lessons to your next role where you're actually going to be working on maintaining that card. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a really good way of putting it. And I want to go back to something Tom has mentioned a couple of times on, uh, on this uh, podcast, which is that the importance of thinking about grips and ideal gripping situations, because I think a lot of guard retention is it's not about like he does this and I do that kind of things. It's in every given guard position, what, what leg and gripping position, like what leg configuration and what gripping position am I looking for? What are the key parts of making that guard work? And then there are tools that you can use to get to those. And those are the techniques of guard retention. But you do have to understand it in the context of a specific set of goals. You know, like and I, probably the most concrete example um, when I'm teaching is uh, from knee shield. So if, if you're in knee shield, it's very clear what grips you want, unless you're playing a weird knee shield. Like there are some weird ways of doing it. But generally speaking, you want uh, you want a cross face um, or if not a cross face, at least a frame against the upper chest um, with your top side arm. And then your bottom side arm, you want to control their forearm so they can't cross face you. And so they can't get any kind of sleeve grip. And uh, from that, 
you know the the knee where the knee is at kind of depends on what you're doing. You you can be clamping on the hip or you can be raising the knee higher to try and create space so you can duck your arm under it to get to an underhook and sort of coming up on a single. But generally speaking, those that that frame on the upper body and then the the bottom side hand controlling the forearm, those are just things you want to have. And you want to have your knee shield such that they can't just you know walk through it, right? Um, so if you find yourself in that position, you know what to do. You try to get to that gripping situation. And once you get there, there is a series you can go into of creating space for an underhook and starting to come up on a single leg and, you know, rolling the guy back. Otherwise, uh, going to deep half, depending on what they do. Um, but really, every guard has these sort of key factors that make it work or not work. And you have to understand what those are and go to those those points as quickly as possible. And you just use the various tools of guard retention to get back to that. Um, and I, I promise I'll, I'll stop harping on this pretty soon. But, you know, you take something like sitting out, right? Like it's one of the first things you teach someone. Well, why does a sit out matter? Well, sit out matters because you either want to have a knee shield. If, if somebody's passing your half guard, you either want to have a knee shield or you want to have um, a butterfly hook something that will keep them from collapsing in on you. And when you don't have any space, the way that you achieve those things is you sit out. So that notion that these these kind of elementary technical things for guard retention, they allow you to get to the situations you need to make a guard work. Yeah, and I think this it comes back to that fundamental idea of distances that we talked about earlier is that when I transition from playing guard to playing guard retention is when usually my feet have been taken out of the game and it's just my knees and my hands left, especially if they're controlling something. And then I start thinking about everything in terms of frames. Where are my frames? How can I stop them from putting pressure on me that's going to control me? And, um, and when your knees get taken out of the picture and it's just your hands, you have to play things very particularly and very carefully, but taking away the pressure or preventing the pressure. And one of my favorite things to do when teaching, um, like escaping side control is we build up to full on escaping side control, but we'll usually start with just that little hip out to put your guard back as someone is coming around your guard and you already have a hand on their cross face arm. And it's the easiest version of it because you set yourself up to succeed as they were coming around your guard. You took away the cross face. You saw it coming and you hip out. And then we work up to like you're in the worst case scenario. They've got the cross face. Your arms are out. But uh, it was that concept was reinforced for me when we had uh, Fabio Gagel come out and he taught mounting from side control to attack. And he basically said, you know, I know that we give points for passing the guard or past the legs. He goes, but I don't really feel like I'm past someone's defenses until I've taken away their arms too. And so we worked nothing but just flaring elbows and isolating both arms away so they couldn't be used as frames. And then by the time you did that, when you mounted, the arm bar was just there and there's like literally like nothing the bottom player can do once they're mounted because every level of their defense has been stripped away. Yeah, that's uh, that's really brilliant. And I'll, um, I'll give Ben a chance, but I, I do want to say one thing, which is I, I do think that we, you, you know, when we talk about technique and when we teach technique, we're almost always teaching it in terms of 
like moves that accomplish something. Like you either get to a better guard or you escape a bad position or you submit the guy. But a lot of the nuances are really being good is frankly just learning how to neutralize people when you're in a shitty position and just take away their ability to advance their own positions and finish you. Even if it doesn't lead to something directly. You know, when I have a when I'm when I'm on bottom side control and I'm doing a drill or whatever and, and I've got a blue belt on top, I don't really try to escape. I basically just let them move, and as they do, I, I take away their control, right? Like, I just take away their tightness and their pressure until eventually they just realize that they're in a bad spot and they do something and then they fall over because, you know, they're blue belts. Um, but that that notion of neutralizing um, is is really important for, uh, for guard retention and defense generally. Yeah, actually, that's that's kind of the, the like that's a perfect touching uh, a, a point to 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 touch on because that's what I want to jump off on because Matt can attest this. A lot of my guard game in particular, or at least my guard retention, is specifically does center around neutralizing uh, my opponents as they try to pass and kind of frustrating them into making that mistake. And if their blue belt's falling over, um, so Matt, that wasn't actually directed at you. Um, the uh, so that neutralization specifically, I I, I want to kind of touch on because when when we're talking about frames in particular, it's not just you know you have to also understand what kind of frame you're going to be using. Whether you're going to be using a very short frame to create enough space just to like dig your head under and push against it with your own forehead and, and push up against it for um, if you have a butterfly uh, guard for example and you're trying to get that extra pressure as you're trying to sweep and you're using your forehead and driving against theirs to kind of set them up essentially um, or if they're trying to pass and you really need a, you know you're creating a lot of space so you're not just going to have like your frame back here which you can't see actually I just realized because we do audio only but if you have a really short frame you're not going to have enough space to, to recover your guard what you need to do is create a much larger frame to push against their body right so when it comes to neutralizing and as they're trying to pass uh Things like the knee shield is, is kind of like my personal go-to because it's such a frustrating position to put someone in. But when they're high, I push that knee up against their chest and I constantly threaten to get bring that underhook under. And when I do go for that underhook and they try to stop me, I come back to it, I bring that knee, that knee shield back in uh, to, to either create that space again or if they're really trying to pressure me, I'm going to clamp down on their leg and cause that you know moment of pain. Um, so neutralizing someone's passing attempts is 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 a huge part of guard retention. It's not constantly about attacking the openings. It's about shutting down the guard pass as well, or the attempts at guard passing, oftentimes before you can even begin your own attacks as, uh, to, to kind of sweep or retain or recover guard. So I think that neutralizing is something that actually is something that needs to be practiced and taught specifically as opposed to just countering with specific moves or whatever he's like no shut their shit down then go yeah i think just to add in real quick ben i think that, that just to top it off i think you hit the perfect note on the end where like teaching specific moves as guard retention is almost universally useless you can show certain instances where like all right sometimes you can do this particular movement 
versus this particular pass, and that can be helpful to someone, but that doesn't build a retention game. Retention is much more, um, it's much more nuanced, it's much more grip-fighty, it's much more, like, simple movement-based and timing-based. Yeah, just to quickly touch on something that Tommy brought up in, I think, the first one we were talking about Butterfly in the previous episode. Um, it's, it, like, grips are king, but that also doesn't just matter for Butterfly. We, as you can tell from this episode, grips matter more than anything else in virtually every situation when it comes to grappling. Like, if you don't have a good grip or if your opponent establishes a good grip on you, you're fighting from behind. So, or they're fighting for mine. And if there's one thing to take from this, it's make sure that your grips are on point and you're aggressively fighting for them and defending against them. Well, I mean, if I can give one piece of advice to anybody uh, that's about guard playing, but just jujitsu in general, is you know don't don't buy into the notion that you shouldn't be aggressive with uh, with getting your positions. You know, you need to learn that. Most of the time you need to be aggressive and you will reach positions where you can chill and you can just slowly increase your pressure. But if, if there's any uncertainty in the engagement, like you need to be working hard to get what you want and not just sitting back. I mean, when people just sit back and, and try to play chill against me, I just smash them because they're not they're not working hard enough. Like this is a. It's a form of wrestling. Like, you have to go. And if you just, like, I, I don't give a fuck. I'll mountain collar choke you ten times in a five-minute round <laughs> if you're just being a little bitch. Like, you have to go after people and try to, you, you have to play your game. It's not a, like, I'm not going to fuck just fuck up. You know, I mean, I, so this is a direct. I appreciate how the deep level of offense you take when they're like, they're not working hard enough oh, like dude, i must punish idea. this no that's exact that is exactly that that mindset um is something that i think it depends on the jujitsu school you're in and the background you come from because i think especially the better competitive schools out there have that mindset um, when you see really good, high-level competitive jujitsu, one of the things I really appreciate about it is that it maintains that kind of wrestling mindset of, like, fight out of it. Oh, you're in a bad position? It's on you. Get to work. Um, as opposed to some uh, uh, other rule sets that I enjoy, and I enjoy training, but they definitely encourage some laziness, like looking at you, Judo, with, like, look at the ref, please save me like being the standard Nawaza tactic by most people in that in like in the high levels of that sport um where like laziness is rewarded in some instances not to say that judo athletes are lazy they're fucking incredible i did it again sorry um but they're incredible but the sport engenders the rule set rewards certain times of passivity jujitsu doesn't and but gym rolling can some people will get in the habit of gym rolling, and depending on the school you're in, you can be a lazy roller, and it'll be fine because you're just gym rolling. And if you're just trying to be a gym roller for your whole life, you just want to do some jujitsu like twice a week and be in shape and have some fun, that's fine. If you're ever looking to compete, it's terrible. And um, one of the best things that woke me up out of that 
was uh, training in other grappling arts, doing judo, doing so. Because I just said judo rewards you for being lazy. But if you go with someone who's an attacker on the ground in judo, they have absolutely positively no chill. They go right for your soul the moment you touch the ground. And having that kind of attitude in jiu-jitsu can be really helpful. So, well, I, yeah. I, oh, go ahead, no, I got personal anecdotes um, specifically relating to what you were speaking about. Um, the first one is Paul Schreiner related. Uh, we were we were doing rounds and we were doing like these these like uh, round robin rounds. I guess is the best way to put it. So I got my turn with Paul and he got the knee on belly on me and I was like, so it's kind of weird. I have this thing where on most people it does kind of work where I can kind of relieve the pressure of their knee on belly without them realizing it because I kind of play possum a little bit. So I'll leave them there and I'll be able to like, kind of relieve that pressure without without them really feeling like their pressure was relieved. Unfortunately, Paul knows what he's doing better than most people. And he just, he knew exactly what I was trying to do and kind of rest there. And he just dug that knee directly into my sternum as hard as he could. And I escaped it. I pushed this out, whatever, I got out, I got back up. He put me right back in and he looked at me and said, keep moving because I'm going to keep doing this. And he did for about four minutes straight. It was me defending the neon belly and him forcing it back. And one, I went and threw up afterwards. Two, he punished that lazy bullshit rolling that I was doing where I was like, I'm going to take this spot because I usually chill out here because people are like, oh, I got neon belly. I'm going to just like, and they don't necessarily get the pressure properly. And I can hang out without feeling like under too much pressure. And he punished me for it. So that's where I kind of learned that lesson. Like, oh, it just fucking go. Like, you have to keep fighting. And with regard to judoka, judoka who have no chill, Russians. <laughs> well, that's the that's the place I really got it from was Sambo. Doing Sambo, man, there, there is... There is absolutely no chill in that ground game, and that is one of the best, like, that was, and and I trained with the American contingent of Sambas in the United States, who are uh, kinder, gentler on the whole than the than the expat Russian uh, Sambas that you train with, uh, that you will get exposed to quite frequently if you're living in New York. Um, and and that, yeah, those, those dudes, there is, there is no chill, there is no mercy. They are it's fucking like, crazy. We're yeah, nice. my boy crazy. Yo, yeah, like, I mean, like that's nuts. the, um, that's the. Uh, uh, there's there's so many instances I've been to a couple U.S. Sambo competitions where it's like you see, you know, if the dude's a Russian when you see him catch a submission because it's just instantly to break. It's like, oh, you tapped, cool. I broke your I broke your elbow like two seconds before that. Well, I would say, you know, I, I think people get into this habit of their instructors don't just want to fuck them up. So they roll real chill with them and they start thinking like, Oh, like that's how good people roll. And if you never, if you're not, like you said, if you're not at a competitive school and certainly if you don't have other black belts around that, like, like when, when I roll with my instructor, like it is not chill. Um, sometimes we'll be chill because we're both like middle-aged guys and, you know, maybe we're kind of tired or whatnot, but like generally speaking, it's, it's not chill at all. Um, I want to pass his guard more than anything in the world, and uh, he will not let me do that. Uh, yeah, and, really and to be clear, we're not bagging on flow rolling or like kind of easy rolling, but there's a mindset that can occur where yeah. 
you don't take opportunities because that's eh, work. Well, like, and you just you just let things happen. You're like, oh, this guy, you know, I'm on I'm on bottom half, and this guy got a grip on my lapel. It's whatever, you know. It's like, no, fuck you. Like, leave. Just go out of walk out of the gym. I I don't want you here. Like, it's not okay. Break the grip. Get your frames. Then you can chill. Um, chill I, I'm when you're in top half. Yeah. Chill, chill when you're in top side control and you're crushing their jaw with your hip. Yeah. And full, that's when you chill. Like, don't chill when the guys mounted you. That's not the moment to stop. Yeah, so it's it's really important to uh, to develop that mindset. I mean, like I, I said in passing earlier, you know, jujitsu is a form of wrestling. And you cannot, you can't wait. You'll just lose to good people if you just, if you just wait and if they're taking it seriously. Um, you always have to go. And uh, I think if you... If you want to have good jitsu, good jujitsu, you have to inculcate that mindset of not letting your opponent have anything important and not not waiting when you have your opportunities. It's just, it's just part of being good at jujitsu. To to also be clear, specifically to those who are I guess newer to jujitsu, that doesn't mean that if you're rolling with someone who's forty five years older than you and is about thirty pounds less than you, that you should just smash the shit out of them. Uh, this applies obviously in 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 most contexts. Like you don't just beat the shit out of somebody who you can beat the shit out of for the sake of doing it. You know, when we're saying don't let them break have the grip, if somebody who you're much better than gets the grip, you could break it without then breaking them completely. The point is to 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 develop habits that you apply in more competitive roles or with people who are better than you rather than just, I'm going to murder this white belt who's been training for three weeks. The one I'll throw out there is just uh, that you see, that it's, one of, it's one of the quintessential signers of like the, the perpetual gym roller to me is they will never contest a sweep. If you get in on a on a, a, something resembling a grip set that, and you start a sweep, they just roll over with it. Um, and it's flowy. They go with it, uh, and they but they don't usually set up a really good guard on the other end. They're just kind of like going with it because that's what you do. You kind of go with the flow, and you just like let stuff happen to you. And you don't need to be a complete spaz to not concede a sweep. So many sweeps in jujitsu, especially especially in nogi, can be turned into wrestling situations because you just go, "Nah, I'm going to stand up," and now you have to now you have to wrestle me. And you can do that in a chill way. Like, if they don't have their grips perfect and they go to sweep you, instead of rolling over, you can just base up and stand up and just go back to kind of easy rolling. And that right there is a better habit to be in than just be like, oh, no, you got me. I'll roll to my back and let you take side control. You're also well, not being a good gym partner. You're not being a good training partner by letting them sweep you. They're not going to develop the proper reactions to someone who's going to fight back you're actually yeah. actively making them worse mm -hmm. and you should feel shitty for that well much like in wrestling that there's there's getting in on a takedown and there's finishing a takedown and those are two different sets i mean obviously it's closely related but they're two different sets of skills just because i get in deep on a single leg doesn't mean you're going down right like there's a, a lot of defenses you have and there's a lot of uh options i have to try and finish and it's the same way in jiu-jitsu you know you were talking earlier about mma rolling ben and you know i have been lucky enough to uh, train quite a bit with um 
UFC fighters at a, at a very strong uh, MMA gym here in Colorado. And one of the things that is really notable about them is that, like, you have to finish everything. Like, they don't concede anything. If you are uh, really throwing hard on a uh, on a sweep, like, you are going to have to force them to their back. And even then, they're going to get out as quickly as they can. Um, and that really should be everyone's mentality. You know, gym rollers roll not to lose and competitors roll to win. And um, rolling not to lose is just... I I have a hard time with it. Yeah, and that should wrap us up here. Uh, <laughs> <all> the, <laughs> all right, let me start that again because I fucked up. <laughs> can you guys hear me or am I still muted? We can hear you. We have no idea what you're doing, but we can hear you. It was the muted worst on my fucking end, so segue I've ever myself. heard. You didn't even segue. You just like, you well, even... that's it. Goodbye. Well, that was. All right. Fuck this. <laughs> I threatened. To, I threatened to take it to single legs in the chat. I'm like, if Matt doesn't wrap this shit up, we're going on. We're going to single legs. We're going there. Because <laughs> because one of the greatest Ryan Hall quote, uh, Ryan Hall quotes is, "We can replace 75 of percent of guard by just coming up to a single leg and being good at it." <laughs> that's actually the the main thing that I. Uh... That, that's the first thing that I teach people for guard playing is yeah. just how to come up on a single leg from every position where it's doable. All right. Yeah, that's actually how I won my return match from my ACL tear. I got uh, I hit a I got a butterfly hook. I came up for a single leg, got the takedown. Um, he tried to get to my back. I ended up circling around, got the back rear naked choked him. For four minutes of that match or something like that, I'm literally just doing nothing because I slightly dislocated my shoulder on my first takedown attempt. <laughs> and uh, it's like a, like it popped out, popped right back in. And I'm like, well, fuck this. Slight <laughs> dislocations don't count. Sorry, Ben. Only right. full dislocations so, on this podcast. Well, I do have video of that where I also pop it back in if I can find it. Um, there you go. We'll count that one. <laughs> I won that match, too. Uh, so I... I I'm laying on my back, basically, just basically. I've, I've like, oh, don't get submitted. Like, I was just out of it mentally because I'm like, this can't be happening. Like, my first match back, I immediately pop my shoulder. Are you shitting me? And I just, fuck it. And then I just hear Marcelo yell at me, move, Ben, move. So I do, and then I win 30 seconds later. I think that'll be all for the podcast this week. I'd like to thank uh, Tom Grant for coming on. Uh, we'd love to have you back on. Uh, for another passing chapter. Uh, Tommy and Ben, uh, it's always an experience, I guess. And uh, thank you everyone for listening.